0: should get you going. (laughs) If you're cold, you might be just warmed up now. So I am so thankful. Choir, thank you very much. Great words as we get our time of worship together. Thank you so much for being here at First Baptist Church, Sun City West. If this is the very first time that you've been here, we'd love for you to take the guest card to the pew in front of you. Fill it in its entirety and drop it in one of the offering boxes when you leave so we can acknowledge your being with us today in the coming week. So thank you so much for doing that. And I hope and pray that you are here to meet God, to worship Him, and give Him all the praise and glory. And if you're coming with burdens, which we know that many are, I promise you that He will express, encourage you, and love And bring joy, if you'll allow Him to. Let's join together in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the opportunities that we have to come and worship together today. And Lord, we do want to give you the honor and praise and glory. We are ready for those of us who have a faith in Christ to say goodbye to this world. But Father, while we're here, we're going to continue to do your work. And that is experiencing your presence, continuing in our relationship with you, reaching out to those around us and in our world. And Father, above all things, expressing unconditional love. And so today, I pray that we can try to move everything out of our minds, focus completely upon you. And Father, every element of this worship, the music, the preaching, the prayers, Father, every aspect of this will give you praise. God, as a congregation, we join in in one voice. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.
1: Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, praising my Savior all the day long. Would you join the choir as we stand and sing together? we Capella.
0: good morning everyone good morning morning. let us pray dear heavenly father we begin today by giving you thanks your love endures forever and never fails as we open the service today let us make a joyful noise to you we pray that we would hear your voice we ask that your holy spirit would be at work opening our ears to hear and our hearts to receive your word May we be transformed into your likeness through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
2: Tower of...
3: family our scripture reading this morning is found in Philippians chapter 1 verses 7 through 11 please follow along in your Bible or on the screen it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel all of you share in God's grace with me We are blessed by the reading of this scripture, for these are the words of the Lord.
1: And in this very room, there's quite enough love for one like me, for one like you, for all of us, and for all the world. Let's sing together.
0: Last week we began a series of messages called Joy for the Journey, a focus on the book of Philippians. In those first six verses we talked about how in life there are many ups and downs and there are curves and straightaways, and Paul's response to every single one of those events in life that inspire us and encourage us and take us to the mountaintops as well as those experiences that take us down into the very dark shadows, the depths of difficulty. Paul said, encounter joy. Take on the joy. And how do you do that? How do you, how do you have joy in some of the most trying moments of life? Well, for Paul, In this letter, we find that he was joyful because of his love and his partnership with the faithful believers at the church at Philippi. The joy that Paul speaks of comes from his heart. It's the heart of one whose love for this group of people had deepened and broadened, even though he wasn't present so much of the time. There was this bond, this connection, this common belief, not only in Jesus Christ, but in the mission that they had together. And so the question that I want to talk about today is, what are the characteristics of the love that brings this kind of joy? If we're going to have joy no matter what, what is it that is foundational to have that joy? What is it that we must have in order to have joy in those difficult times? And I think the Apostle Paul uh, tells us very succinctly in a very short passage that Luann read that the characteristics, number one, is a love for co-workers or in a more uh, King James Version, co-laborers. With, with those around us. So in verses seven and eight, and it continues actually before that in verses, verse four and then into five, it talks about the love that he has for the coworkers and the kind of love that they have for him. It is this joint endeavor. And if we're going to have that joy, the love for coworkers is gonna be critical. And a love co- for coworkers is shown by this joint partnership that Paul talks about. He said, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. A lot of part of verse 4 and in verse 5. And then he concluded in verse, or continued on in verse 7, he said, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And then he puts an exclamation point Right there, as he goes on into verse 8 and says, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. In each of these verses, there is interwoven an understanding that the Apostle Paul has a love for these co-workers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's shown in their partnership. They saw his passion they saw his love they saw his compassion that God had given him not only for the lost but they experienced it personally in their own lives they saw that Paul loved them had compassion for them as he did for those that They were entering into a joint partnership to communicate the gospel to There is nothing like a love within the body of Christ. Absolutely critical to accomplish the work that God desires and wants. It's that kind of a love that that a pastor has for his people and the people have for their pastor. There's this understanding that, that no matter what, that they are going to be there for each other. That it's not just a surface process, but, but you dig into the very being of their lives each way. And through that, it deepens and it broadens, not only in the mission that God has given us, but also in our ministry to one another. I remember when Debbie and I were, were dating. I was already pastoring uh, in New Mexico at that time and uh, she came as a summer missionary uh, and uh, I wouldn't say that, uh, that the, our, our first encounter was necessarily the warmest <laughs> but I grew on her over the course of the week that she served at our church <laughs> and I tell you what, when she left at the end of the summer to go back and finish her last year of college man, that was a long, long year we saw each other, I don't know, three or four times where either when she would fly out or I'd fly back to, uh, to Maryland or Tennessee uh, uh, to, uh, to visit. But boy, I tell you what, um, I longed to see her when we were apart. The Apostle Paul was in prison, remember? Most likely in Rome. He had helped organize this church he had had brought a number of these individuals to a knowledge of Jesus Christ there is this kind of love and he saw that church begin to flourish and even though he was in prison and a distance away and had not been engaged with them he had this understanding of love I long to be with you and to see you Paul was expressing love for these believers (coughs) For one reason, because there was a joint love of what God had done in their life, transforming them, and that that needed to be replicated into many people in the area of Philippi and well beyond. And we can sense that very same thing of communicating the gospel of Christ. He goes on to say, he says, it is, it is a right for me to feel this way. And that, that's kind of an interesting phrase. It is right for me to fill this way since I have you in my heart. That that word right has the idea that it's natural. This is a natural outpouring, a natural uh, uh, and just way for me to fill this way for you with this affection that I have, with this love that I have. And why is that? Why should he have that right? Because this is the way that he feels. He uses that word feel. It can be translated thinks about. In other words, he's saying I have, I have this right because I feel for you, I think about you consistently. It has this idea of an action that a person takes in their mind and extends onto some kind of action step that says, you know what? I want the very best for you. And so it's right for me to feel this way and I, I want the best interest in you and so I want you to know that I am going to be here for you I have this love for you he's saying I have joy and I have love for you because of the bond of our partnership in Christ now why is that he said since I have you in my heart it's an expression of heartfelt love if you've ever been in love before you understand that idea of heartfelt love To someone else Paul is what Paul is trying to get across it is it is a heartfelt love It is something that he takes seriously now. It is interesting that there's another way. This could be translated and It says because you have me in your heart And in fact, I think that might be a better translation because the, the the church at Philippi those believers had a large place in their heart for the Apostle Paul and the defense of the gospel So it goes both ways. These co workers with the Lord Jesus Christ. And they had a love for their partnership and for each other to make sure that the work of God is being accomplished. That love is shown also in verse 8, where Paul says, How I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Here he shows an earnest desire for them, it is deep, it's not superficial. That word affection refers to the inner parts or the seat of emotions. That's that's where we express anger. It's where we express love. It's where we express pity or jealousy. And here we find that this is the strongest word in the Greek for the feeling of compassion. And so when Paul says this, he had a compassionate love for these joint partners of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, that compassion that he had to accomplish the commission that God had given him to be the ambassador to the Gentiles, he had a love for that. And it's in the same way that he had a love for those believers at Philippi. And that love brought them together. The compassion for those who were lost. The compassion for those who are hurting, those who are just aimlessly going through life so that they might see the light. It's a powerful metaphor describing a perfect union. For you see, with the affection of Christ Jesus, that's what Paul had in his heart. You see, Paul had no yearnings apart from the Lord. His, his pulse beats the pulse of Christ. His heart throbs with the heart of Christ, and that should be our goal. As we live our life, as we move forward in this season of our life, the very essence of what we strive to do should be to glorify God. It should be that love of Christ, that affection with Christ that brings compassion to care for one another and to care for the community around us that is searching. Do you love your co-workers your family of faith listen the Apostle Paul said if we're gonna have joy if you're going to experience that joy you have to have love one for another he goes on to say that that love for co-workers is shown in that partnership of the gospel because of how they connect together to accomplish that but he also says it's shown in the sharing of God's grace In verse 7, the second part of verse 7, Paul said, For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Well, we know that first, the sharing of God's grace, God's grace brought them in salvation. When they confessed their sins and they relied on Jesus Christ alone for salvation, God's grace came upon them. He eradicated their sin. The Holy Spirit came to live inside of them. So they, they certainly have that share of God's grace, Paul and these believers at, at Philippi, but I think it goes on beyond that. When the Apostle Paul was in, imprisoned under house arrest in Rome, there was always either one or two soldiers attached to him, chained to him. Can you imagine being chained to Paul? <laughs> During the waking hours when he would have people come in, And he would be teaching, and it was under house arrest. He wasn't in a prison. He was in a house, but he had the soldiers there. So people could come and go, and he would teach day and night about the truths of the gospel of Christ. He would communicate to them, and so they would hear that message over and over and over again. And through that process, numbers of the Roman guard came to know Christ. In fact, when he was in Rome and imprisoned we find that there were numbers of people even in the emperor's palace that came to know Christ. And so he says, listen whether I am in chains here in Rome communicating the gospel you are sharing In the harvest of those souls that come to know Christ. In other words, church, you have a part in whatever God does through me in communicating the gospel while I am in chains. And then he goes on to say, and at the same time, when the time comes for me to confirm or defend the gospel in a trial before the emperor, before Caesar, That you will share in the harvest that would come from such a defense of the gospel. Why is that? Because they were together in their joint partnership. They were together, supporting financially, praying for, working together with the Apostle Paul in this partnership of the gospel that had this deep love attached to it. It was not just giving money to somebody that you think probably will do something out there, but there was this, this connection of love and affection one to the other. And so, what he felt, they felt. What they felt, he felt. And he said, Listen, wherever I go, and God produces a harvest, you are part of that. You are sharing God's grace with me. And these come to know Christ. That word defense is a Greek term uh, from the judicial area. And it, it basically has the idea of an attorney talking his client off from a charge giving a verbal defense saying this is why my client should be let off paul says i'm going to give a defense of the gospel and here he was going to be defending the faith before the tribunal of the world the most powerful man in the known world and paul said at some point down the line this is going to happen because i have appealed to caesar two different occasions. Paul was in prison numerous times and every time he was he always focused upon the desire to communicate the gospel. So whether it was this imprisonment or another imprisonment he knew at some point he was going to be defending the gospel before Caesar. And so if he defended the faith between or before the most powerful man in the world A successful defense would result in the confirmation of the gospel. But even if his defense, he was still put to death. The communication of the gospel would still be made known. And people would hear. And he says, I want you to know, church family, that even though you are a distance away, you are with me in this defense and the confirmation of the Gospels. You are co-sharers in the grace of God. And I I think back to our church here. We are in partnership together to accomplish what God desires. We're also in partnership with another forty to 45,000 churches across the United States voluntarily cooperating together as Southern Baptists to accomplish many things that individual churches can't do. Together, we, we support the cooperative program where it allows us to have over 3,700 missionaries around the world in close to 200 countries. It supports over 5,000 North American missionaries that are scattered all through the United States and Canada. Why? To plant churches, to evangelize, to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are part of that, as well as the partnership ministries we have in our local area of launching churches and planting churches and helping refugee churches and helping those that are addicted get off the street through the Set Free Ministries. These partnerships that we have together, we're co-sharers of the gospel, and that is exactly what the Apostle Paul is trying to get across. When we do this, when we have love for people... And we have these these co-workers and co-laborers together in this partnership. He said, that brings me great joy. And it should bring us great joy of all the things that are being accomplished. Paul's love for the people is what brought him joy. And when we have our compassion for Christ, we have our compassion for other people. And investing in other people and in sharing God's grace, it should bring joy. To our hearts no matter what we're going through well not only that but secondly we find a love that produces joy is a love that produces fruit i uh i have a tangelo tree in my backyard and and uh I'll never forget when we first bought that house. My wife took a picture of me by that fruit. I've never had a fruit tree before, I guess, in that way. And uh, there was no fruit on it at that time. But we've had fruit. It produces, I don't know, usually around 20 beautiful little juicy citrus. Last year, it produced zero. And I thought, boy, we have a problem. (laughs) And so I began in the spring of last year, and I began to to see these white blooms and I'd sit there and I would look at it I really didn't pay much attention to it before but i see these blooms and then as, as the months went on I began to see these little tangelos beginning to form <coughs> and I've seen them while they were green and they just kind of pop up and, and then they're, they turn orange they don't, they don't quite, they're not quite ready many of them but the other day Yesterday, in fact, I went outside and and there was one that was just perfect. And I popped that thing off and I came into the house and and I said, Deb, I've got got our tangelo here, the first one. And I said, I'll I'll half it with you. She said, no, it's okay. So I ate that whole thing. (laughs) It was so good. It was so juicy. The thing that really hit me was that before I really didn't notice much about the tree. I just ate the fruit off of it. I didn't really pay much attention. But when it didn't have any fruit in one year I began to pay more attention to what goes on with it and and how the process is and how it works. And I'll tell you what, that was the tastiest citrus that I've ever had even off that tree before because I paid attention to it. Paul says, listen, a love that produces joy is a love that produces fruit. You're not going to have the joy that you should in your Christian life without that love and without the production of fruit. And and that, that love that produces fruit is furthered through prayer. If you remember, maybe last week, if you were here in verses 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul three times talked about prayer. Here's, here's my prayer. His life revolved around prayer. It was the source of his life and breath. And so here he sets the stage and the purpose for the Philippian believers. He said in the first part of verse 9, he said, And this is my prayer, that... And As you saw when Luann read verses 9, 10, and 11, that's what his prayer is. Now remember that a prayer is directed to God with a definite aim and purpose. When we go to God in prayer, in the realm of intercession, we go with a definite aim and uh, purpose. Paul is, is exhorting the church toward their mission and toward their vision the vision God had given them, the mission that they had that came from God. He said, listen, I want you to know I am praying for this to be done. Paul knew that the only way for fruit from the gospel to be produced was to make it a priority in the realm of intercession. You see, intercession, prayer, must be priority in each of our lives in order to produce fruit. If we, if we have a prayerless life, or one that is just thrown up periodically or only when we are in trouble, That's not the kind of prayer life he's talking about. He's focused upon intercession, our communication with God. The creator of the universe has given us the opportunity to come into his presence and to speak with him in a conversation. And we should take that conversation. And he said, when we do that, and intercession becomes the priority in our lives, then what we're going to see is fruit that comes. Because if we have a, a prayerless life, we will have a fruitless life, spiritually. And I think the same is true for our vision 2025, for it to become a reality. Our church, uh, just in 2020 and 2021, put together a whole vision and mission with action plans that we prayed over. We believe that God has given us this vision. And this, all of these things included will be accomplished if the center part of that is prayer. Because then these, all of these different fruits will be accomplished. The key is prayer. We launched the Watchman Prayer Ministry in in February of 2020, just about a month before uh, COVID hit. And I tell you what, that Watchman Prayer Ministry, it provided the very basis of us moving forward, even in the most uncertain of times. The Watchman Prayer Ministry is a prayer ministry that says, listen, we're asking every single one of us who will, to just take an hour, a particular hour of the week, we have 168 of them, take an hour of the week and to pray for revival, pray for spiritual awakening, and pray for the ministries of this church. It's not necessarily praying for everything. It's a very focused prayer ministry, but it is designed specifically to catapult us in the realm of intercession for God's great movement to come in our midst and through this body of Christ. We'll be launching it again every year. We renew. And I would encourage you to pray about being engaged and involved and taking a specific hour and being with a group of people, co-laborers in a partnership, saying we are going to join together as the body of Christ to pray so that God will be able to work mightily. Here we find that a love that produces joy is a love that produces fruit, which is furthered by prayer. Also we find a love that produces fruit will grow in knowledge and depth. In verse 9, the second part, he stated that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. That word love is, uh, the, the, in the Greek, the word agape. It's the one that's used most often in the New Testament it is a God type of love it says your needs are greater than my needs so I'll meet your needs before I meet my needs it is a sacrificial love it is a selfless love and so when he talks about that your love may abound more and more he says I want that agape that God type of love to grow so much in your life it doesn't happen automatically it is a process of maturing in the faith, a process of, of setting other things in our life aside and focusing upon Christ being in complete control of our lives. This is the kind of love that God is, according to 1 John chapter 4, and verse 16. It is a love produced in the heart of, of a believer who has yielded their lives through the Holy Spirit who lives within them according to Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. Its chief ingredient is self-sacrifice for the benefit of the one who is loved. And we see that greatest example in John 3.16 where God gave his one and only Son for us. So the God who is love gave the greatest gift he possibly could because of our need. And Paul says, Church, I I want that kind of love to grow and abound in your life so that you sacrifice your own desires to accomplish the very heart of what God desires in your life. That divine love, like an exotic flower from heaven, was planted in foreign soil It was planted in the hearts of these believers and it's planted in our hearts. It was in superabundance in these believers at Philippi who had been saved out of gross paganism. It was a complete transformation and now now that love was overflowing from their hearts in their love to others who both needed the gospel but also needed somebody to come beside them and help them and encourage them. So he says, this is what I want. This is my prayer. I want your love to abound more and more. To be more and more like Jesus. So that you will grow in knowledge and depth of insight. What do you think that means? Knowledge and depth of insight. Well, I believe that there are, must be limits, even in love, like riverbanks that contain... Refreshing water that's used for good, lest it overflow and do harm. These young believers were so eager and they were so enthusiastic to go out and accomplish what God's desire was. But they lacked deep insight and knowledge. And so Paul said, I, I want your love to abound just like the love of Jesus, but I want it to grow also in the knowledge and depth of insight. In other words, I want you to grow spiritually. I want you to dig deep. I want you to strive to be all that God desires you to be. This kind of knowledge that he's talking about is gained by experience. The full knowledge of these uh, Philippians needed to gain was a better understanding of God's Word in application. How do you apply it? You study God's Word, you apply it to your life. It is that, that spiritual maturing that in, in your daily life. It doesn't stop in the study or the, or the chair where you study God's Word. It actually comes into your life and it changes your life on a daily basis. That's the kind of knowledge he's talking about. And also they needed to learn more intimately about the Lord Jesus Christ and Him Himself. And this takes time. For some of us, it is a lifelong process. We continue to mirror, mirror, uh, to uh, continue to grow and mature in our, in our knowledge and our faith of, of who Jesus is and what He should be in control of of our lives. There are some areas that we just don't like to give up, and we must. And he said, "Listen, this is what you need. Also, the depth of insight. That has to do with judgment or spiritual maturity. It refers to a sensitive moral perception and a quickness for an ethical tact. What does that even mean? In simple terms, how often, how often do we mean to be loving, but we say the wrong word or we do the wrong thing? And somewhat in contrast to that, there are those that say, Well, I'm just me. I'm blunt. I'm straightforward. I don't have tack. That's how God made me, and that's the way I'm going to express it. <laughs> well, in both cases, at times we mean to do well and we just. Don't say it right or we don't do the right thing. And when we just blatantly say, this is just who I am and take it or leave it. What we lack is that delicate sensibility to express ourselves in a gentle, wise, discriminating touch. Which would convey the love that we have in our hearts to one another. even with those that we may disagree with. What we do is the body of Christ. And to grow in our spiritual maturity is not only in the knowledge through experience of what God's Word says and how I put it into my life on a daily basis, but it's also in how I deal with other people. It's taking the rough edges off. It's not being defiant, but it's taking a step back and saying, okay, what is it that Jesus would do here? It's, it's taking a conversation with somebody that I love and being gentle, being wise. <coughs> making sure that we express in discerning what is the right way to handle this and to communicate this, because frankly we love one another. That's who we are, like Christ loved us. And so he, he says, we can do this. He writes that the, the Church of Philippi says, listen, if we live in close companionship with Christ, We have the ability to be discerning, to let him control our words and our tongue, our heart, our actions. Christ exhibited that sense of delicate tactfulness throughout his ministry. And he's the one that we are to let live through us. So in essence, in summary, Paul says... My prayer, aim, and focus for you will be to continue to grow in knowledge, experience, judgment, spiritual maturity, and deep insight, for this will serve you well as you continue working for the kingdom of God. He also says that a love that produces fruit comes through prayer and knowledge and deep insight, but also comes from a holy life. In verse 10, He said, so that you may be able to discern what is best and be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. That term discern means to approve after testing. Uh, The term best means what is excellent, what is vital, what is worthwhile. So Paul was saying, listen, before you give your stamp of approval on some action or statement that, uh, that you've just heard or sounds good, make sure that you take the time to test that certain thing. Take it with an understanding of what God's Word says. With where the truth is. And then if you find that it's worthwhile, then you can put your stamp of approval on it. He's not talking about everyday things. He's talking about the more sensitive things, the the, the more important things, superior things. So spiritual maturity is vital as we grow in knowledge and depth of insight Uh, we get this sense of what he's talking about in Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 3 when God said call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know Paul saying, listen make sure that you discern what is right because there's some things that you can't discern in your own logic and experience and education are some things that are great and unsearchable that we don't know and god said you called to me and i'll give you the answers we see this in peter's confession of christ in matthew 16 when he says you are the christ the son of the living god and jesus replied blessed are you simon son of jonah for this was not revealed to you by man but by my father in heaven Some things we only get from God and spending time with God in our maturity and knowledge and depth of insight is only going to come from Him. The word pure means sincere, genuine. Blameless means without stumbling, without offense. And these two words that he uses here so that you might be able to discern what is best before you put your stamp of approval on it and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ basically it carries the idea of not stumbling or causing somebody else to stumble you live a life that is pure and blameless for yourself but also you don't want somebody else to stumble you don't want to trip up somebody because of what you said or what you've done this type of person is not a hypocrite this type of person is an open book to others So in summary, Paul says, listen, if you're going to have a love that produces fruit, then you must test what is best and most excellent. Then put your stamp of approval on it through your actions and your words. Live a life that is set apart, genuine, and not offensive to the kingdom of God until the Lord returns. And the last thing that a love produces, that produces fruit, is that it will come through righteousness. That's what he says in verse 11. Paul said he's filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul said, listen, my my prayer for you is that your life will be filled with the fruit of righteousness which will show you great love and bring you great joy. So if you're going to have joy in life, it's going to come through love which will produce a fruit of righteousness meaning a right style a life that's lived the way that Jesus would want you to live it he uses that that term filled it means completed a completed condition that your life might be filled with righteousness an idea of right standing before God it is Christ's righteousness living through us. You see, to bear the fruit of righteousness in its fullness, the believer must be self, I'm sorry, must be absorbed in the life of Christ. Moving self out of the way and allowing the righteousness of Christ to be lived out in their life. Now the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And so he is communicating that, helping you to refine all along the way. But you must let go. And to have and to bear the fruit of righteousness, Christ must live through our lives. And only when that happens in the life of the believer does the righteousness of Christ become the believer's own. And then the condition of bearing fruit will happen because if we have if we have the fruit of righteousness in our lives, our heart's desire is to reach out and touch others. To encourage others. When they're down, to lift them up. To give an encouraging word, a joyful word, a word of love and compassion. To to walk with them, and even if you might disagree, to be wise and gentle in the process of caring for one another. Jesus said in John 15, Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so Paul's prayer for these believers is, listen, I want you to have the same kind of joy that I have and to have the same kind of joy I have in you God you got to have love it's a love for each other it's a love for being partners to communicate the gospel and reach this world in all of its horrific ways and if you're going to do that he said then you're going to have to let go of some things. You're going to have to take the opportunity and the time to say, okay, I don't have enough room in here for my desires. I want the righteousness of Christ to be in. I want to understand the knowledge and the depth of what Jesus has done and His insight because I want to be more and more like Him. Paul's going to hit this really hard in chapter 2, but he's laying the foundation to say, this is my prayer for you. I want you to have not only joy for the journey, I want you to have love for the journey. And all the while, no matter what you go through, that God will use you powerfully. Because I love you, and we are co-workers together. Father, as we move into our time of invitation, I just ask you to speak to each one of us in terms that we can respond to. So, Father, we have taken a truck to hear what Paul had to say to the church at Philippi, but also to (coughs) us, to our church, to each one of us individually. And I I pray, God, that where there might be areas in our life that that we don't have the depth of knowledge or depth of insight, we don't have the best discernment, areas that we might have not have the greatest love or the ability to to express that love to others I pray whatever it is Father that somehow you would help us to make the decisions to say I'm going to commit to do better And God I pray as Paul said that our love may abound more and more that we'll be pure and blameless And that there would be nothing that we would do that would cause others to trip and fall or to turn away from the gospel. But we would be the lighthouses that you ask us to be. This church at Philippi gave Paul joy. It was because of their love for each other. And for the mission. And I pray, God, that in our worship center today, as you are speaking to us, whatever decisions we need to make privately or publicly, that God, before we leave today, we would say, God, this is what I want to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand as we sing our invitation. As God leads you to make some decision, please make it where you are or I'll be here at the front. Come ahead.
2: Jesus is Savior and Lord I hope my, Lord, my Lord.
0: seated for just a moment and I just want to encourage you that uh, we're going to leave here in just a few moments uh, but um, as you leave today you're going to face some challenges and you probably did this past week. Um, some of them are going to be joyful, some of them are going to be challenges. Our, our, our friend uh, Mr. Reed there lost his father just a couple of days ago. Helen's celebrating her birthday today. Those are two, two totally separate things. This is what we face in the course of life. And uh, Joel was in the hospital yesterday, didn't know what was going to happen. He's here today. As, as we go through the course of life, there are always things that come. But through it all, what Paul desires is for us to have the joy. And that comes through the love and affection that only Christ can give. Uh, today is uh, the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday across, across our country, and um, it's the first Sunday we've had like this since the Supreme Court reversed their course on Roe and Wade. And so we, we stand with life, um, both in, uh, in a, uh, a baby's life and an elder's life, everything in between. Uh, but we celebrate that. But now it goes back to the states. And now the states make their decisions on what they choose to do. I want you to see this, this video clip. Uh, and then after that, Nancy will come and share our opportunities for the week. And then we'll have our closing prayer. Please focus upon joy and love.
4: I'm Dr. Bill Lyle and I practice obstetrics and gynecology, and over the years I have delivered over 4,000 babies. Welcome today because today is special because this is the first Sanctity of Human Life Sunday since the reversal of Roe versus Wade. Since 1973, we have lost over 63 million babies' lives because of abortion. And abortion at its very core is an attack against the image of God. Genesis 1 26 says after God created all the heavens and the earth, all the mammals, all the birds and everything on this planet, God paused. And he said, let us make man in our image. And that is all of us. Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. And we were all created in the image of God and we weren't created in the image of God on the day we were born. We were created in the image of God at that moment of conception. When we look at 63 million lives, that is doing evil in the sight of the Lord, destroying the image of God. And this is what the attack is. It's an attack against the image of God out of a hatred for God himself we look at Psalm 139 where we are miraculously knit together in our mother's womb the psalmist didn't understand about cell differentiation and fetal development he just knew that it was knit together in our mother's womb from the moment of conception when one cell from the mom and one cell from the dad get together at that moment that is a unique new person unique from the mom unique from the dad unique from the other eight billion people on the planet And then we go from one cell to two cells, to four, eight, 16, 32, 64, developing into different systems, cardiovascular system, neurological system, skeletal systems. 18 days after conception, we can actually see the heart beating. And the heart is pumping blood from the baby to the placenta where the mom is and then back. And the babies not only have different genetics, but often the babies can even have a different blood type. It's really a matter of not just a choice. It is a matter of patient's rights and being created in the image of God. You say, well, why patient's rights? Because we treat the babies in the womb as patients. And a patient is a person, no matter how small. And I really think that God is looking and saying, you have this amazing opportunity. We have reversed Roe versus Wade. What is the church going to do to defend my preborn? to discuss the gift of salvation and forgiveness and to provide healing for not only the church, but those outside of the church? Because if the truth is not going to be heard from our pulpits, where do we expect to hear the truth? So the church needs to engage, and the church doesn't just need to know the truth. The church needs to speak the truth. They need to stand up for the preborn. They need to say this is wrong, but they also need to discuss about forgiveness and healing. See how you can get engaged. And if you have any questions, you can contact me, Dr. Bill Lyle, through our website, which is ProLifeDoc.org. God bless you, and thank you for setting aside Sanctity of Human Life Sunday.
1: In your bulletin, You have a couple of inserts. On the back of the one which again, emphasizes the women and men's Bible studies which started last Thursday. If you did not have opportunity to come, it's not too late. They will be meeting again this Thursday. But on the back you'll see about the dinner fellowship groups that are coming in February. I encourage you to take advantage of that opportunity to get better acquainted with some of your fellow church members. In the lobby, both lobbies, There are packets of information for the church conference. Quarterly conference will be this Wednesday at four o'clock here in the sanctuary. So I hope that you will take one of those packets and come prepared on Wednesday at four. There's also a sign up for the movie lunch on Thursday. The lunch is at 1230, there's a cost of $5. There's no cost for you coming to the movie, which starts at one. But if you want to have a lunch prior, we do need you to sign up for that. On the back of your bulletin, I just draw your attention to a number of other things that are upcoming, not the least of which is the Partners on Mission chili and cornbread potluck. If you have been wanting to make your favorite cornbread and share it with a lot of folks, this is your wonderful opportunity to do that on February the 8th at 4 p.m. Our speaker will be from New Life Pregnancy Center and you'll not want to miss that. I encourage you to stand now as we have our closing prayer. I'm set. There she is. I was looking back where you usually sit. This is Carol Yoder, one of our winter visitors, and we are glad she's here. Thank you. Our Father which art in heaven, holy is your name. We thank you so much for this church, for your servants in this church who provide the music and the message Thank you for their blessing in our life. Lord, we ask that we know that you have promised us life and you have promised us life more abundantly. Lord, let us use our time and our talents and our money to intersect with women and men who need to know about eternal life and the forgiveness of sin. We ask these things in your most holy and precious name. Amen.
4: Amen.
2: Amen. You wouldn't give me those books, Dave. I can do it. No, Mm -hmm. she's taking over.